Thankful to be continuing this series on the Christmas cast and the, some of the characters from the, uh, the original Christmas story we're taking Sunday by Sunday. Um, the last two Sundays we've done Mary and we've done Joseph. Who's enjoyed it? Been good, man. Chris did good last week. It's so good. Um, in those two series, we really look at those characters and how, how they live their lives and we learn some things from them of how to be. And, um, and this morning, we're looking at a character known as Herod, and we're going to spend a day talking about some things not to be. <laughs> um, and we're going to look at his life and his story and his role in the, the original Christmas story. As we do that, I got this clip from a, a vintage cartoon. Um, they've made new ones of it, but this is just a clip that always uh, reminds me, and, and some of you will recognize of it. Recognize it. Some some of you younger ones were like, "I didn't know what is that." Um, but just watch this little clip, and then we'll talk about uh, Herod. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Oh, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason, his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve hating the Who's. Hey, y'all remember that? That'd bring back some nostalgic there for some of you. Um, and so the reason I showed that is because really as I read through this passage, as I think about Herod, I think he might have been the first Grinch. I really think he might have been the first one that just absolutely hated Christmas. And everything it stood for and everything it was going to mean. And, and he decided to do everything within his power to try to stop it. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? And, and, and so you may know the story of Herod, but we're going to walk through it a little bit today from Matthew chapter 2. And uh, we're going to look and see, you know, what, what was up with Herod? What was his deal? And, and, and a little bit, I mean, you, you might get some leadership lessons out of this this morning. You know, sometimes you learn from leaders how to be, and sometimes you learn from bosses and people you've worked for how not to be. This is a how not to be kind of morning, okay? But we're going to look at, at Herod's life and, and how his role, what it was in the Christmas story. One author or historian, Josephus, called him barbaric. Another writer dubbed him the malevolent maniac. Um, this guy was just something to be reckoned with. He was usually known as Herod the Great, is what you will hear him called. The title of the sermon this morning is Herod the Not So Great. All right, and we're gonna we're gonna see what that means and what it what it looks like. Let's jump right into the scripture. Um, Matthew two, starting in verse one. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. I want to give you, I want to stop there just for a minute, and you need a little background. You need to understand Herod and what is up with him um, and, and why he's so disturbed in verse 3. 
And so Herod had been appointed king of the Jews by the Romans. And, and the Romans had taken over Jerusalem and Judea. They broke it into four political districts, and each of those districts had a leader. And then they had put Herod in overseeing those four political districts. They called him and named him and gave him the title the king of the Jews. The Jews did not give him that title. And so he actually was not, uh, he was only partly Jewish. He had married into a Jewish family. He was not Jewish by religion. And so for, for the Jews that lived there, this guy was fully Roman. He, he represented all the bondage that they were in, yet he had the title of king of the Jews and would pretend and play along and try to lead them and try to oversee things. And so he, he, he was not well-loved by the Jews. He, and he was consumed and always in fear about his title and power and his position. And man, title, power, and position, this world and this culture is obsessed with it. And if we're not careful, we will become obsessed with it. And so this is the world that Herod was living in. And so he was always scared somebody was trying to take his spot, trying to take his throne. So much so, there was a season in his life he actually had several of his children and at least one of his wives murdered because he was scared. Like, his position was more important than the family. He was so scared and jealous and paranoid that he thought they were working a scheme against him. They probably were. I probably would have been. Um, so he was jealous, paranoid, consumed with power. He, he is remembered as like this builder of cities and, and buildings especially. Made, he built a lot of amazing buildings in Jerusalem. He was actually the, the guy that rebuilt the temple. And he did it in a magnificent, extraordinary way, the temple that was in Jerusalem. He, he rebuilt it, and he was the guy that, that did that. He led that. He, he got things done, and he was great. I mean, he, 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 he was great at getting things done, but he was a ruthless leader, and he was really not great in his character or in personal relationships. He, he might have got things done, but he was not a great, not a great guy. Uh, we find in this, this, this position that Herod is in that, that he's, so, he's, been, he's been granted power, but he's not really earned it. And he's in this place, this difficult place, that he's trying to do everything he can to, to maintain it. And so, here we come to Matthew chapter 2 and this story and three wise men. Well, we say three, you know that tradition. We've got a nativity here somewhere, probably has three wise men. It never says three in the Bible anywhere. Uh, but these wise men show up and they say, well, we're here to worship the newborn king of the Jews. So, do you see why in that statement, a Herod immediately was like, oh no, another threat to my throne. He doesn't say it, but we find that Matthew records he was deeply disturbed when he heard this. He's so scared, so obsessed with power that all he could think about was who is this. And it, it's a, a newborn. I mean, you wouldn't think you'd get nervous immediately over a newborn. But he's that paranoid that he wants to be in power his whole life that that, that, that speaks to him and relates in fear for him. So, first point that I really want you to see here uh, is that great power does not equal great peace. Great power does not equal great peace or security. You, you will get into a season of life or a time, and maybe you've been there where you thought, man, if I was just the manager, if I was just the boss, if I was just in control, if I was this or that, 
like they got it made, everything is okay, and, and, and they get to decide and choose. And, and there's this old saying that says, heavy is the head that wears the crown. Like those decisions become weighty. But the, but the reality is the problem with Herod is that his motivation's wrong. He was hungry for power and control, but that never led to peace for him. And so what we find in the Bible and the way that, that Jesus taught us is that we should not be obsessed and consumed about the pursuit of power or title or influence. We should actually have a heart for a life of service. It's totally different. Herod was all about being in control. He was never about serving. But Jesus taught us completely different, right? Philippians 2, Paul said it like this about Jesus. says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a servant or a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. You see, peace does not come from power or control or earthly circumstances. Peace comes from our spiritual position in our relationship with God our Father. To, to be reminded that regardless of how chaotic things are around us, that we have been adopted into the family of God, that He is our dad. That, that when things get tough, that when things are, that, that seem bad, and that, that at the end of the day, He is our Father. That is where peace comes from. And, and Jesus himself lived the, the heart for service out. You know, we're talking about Christmas, but near the end of his life and the end of his ministry, we find him in the upper room in John 13. And so many people thought that the king of the Jews, the Messiah, was going to be a great ruler and a powerful king of governments and politics. And we find him in this upper room with, with 12 ragtag guys. Right? They, they, these are probably not guys that if you want to be king, you should even be hanging out with. And yet he, we find him in that room with those people. And even in those people that, that he, he should be elevated in title and, and position. We find after they get done eating, he stands up and takes his robe off. And he gets down on a bended knee and he gets a towel. And he doesn't have a heart to be the king or be the leader or make decisions. He has a heart to wash their feet. And he has a heart to even wash people's feet that didn't even deserve to be washed. He's sitting there, and he's going around, and you think about this group. I mean, Judas is the obvious one, right? Judas is the one who's going to completely and already has betrayed him, sold him out. And Jesus knows it. And he, he still wraps the towel around. Aren't you glad that Jesus washes your feet when you don't deserve it? That you can feel it? Aren't you glad you've got neighbors and friends that, that wash your feet, that care, even when you don't deserve it? And when they can't get anything out of it? 
And so he girds and he washes Judas' feet, and then he girds himself, and he, and he gets to gets to Peter, right? And he, he begins to wash Peter's feet, and Peter's like, "You can't wash my feet. You're the leader. You're you're the you're the the teacher. You're the rabbi. You can't wash my feet." And Jesus says, "Well, anyone not clean can't be with me." He's like, "Wash me all," you know. He's like, Peter's like, "Just keep wash my whole body, clean everything. I want to be with you." Jesus washes Peter's feet, the same Peter that later that night would deny him three times. That little kids around a campfire would be like, hey, Peter, did you know Jesus? He'd be like, I don't know that dude. To little kids, he couldn't even step up and own his relationship with Jesus that Jesus got down and washed his feet. By the time Jesus was on the cross, the other disciples were nowhere to be found. After he died, they thought, well, we thought he was going to be a king, but he's dead. We know the rest of that story, but Jesus served. He washed the feet. You want to find fulfillment and peace in life, don't look to raise and get up the ladder. Wash your neighbor's feet. That means at work. That means at school. It means in your community. It means in your, your neighborhood. Anybody you come across, just wash your neighbor's feet. If it, and what you will find is, is real power, like power can be granted, but real influence has to be earned, okay? You don't have to have a title to be a leader, but you could get one, right? You can get a title. You could be the manager. You could be a dad, a mom. You could be that and, and never step in and have real influence. Are you following me? Like they might have to listen, but do they want to listen? Have you reached their heart? Do they, do they trust you? Do they know that you love them and care about them? Real influence is earned through service, through a heart to serve. It is what diakonos, minister, pastor, this is that word, this role as a shepherd is not to be the king. <laughs> it is to serve. It is to wash feet. And it's an honor that Chris and I get to do this with each and every one of you. At the end of John 13, Jesus after washing their feet, he puts his robe back on and he says, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. So Herod hears. He's not, he does not have the heart to serve. He does not care about the Jewish people. He cares about Herod. And it's totally obvious. So he comes, they, he hears from the wise men, oh, there's a newborn king, hits pause on that meeting, calls another meeting with all the priests and the, the teachers of religious law, and he asks him, he's like, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? Where is he supposed to be born? This could be what's happening here. I've kind of heard that story. I know I'm king of the Jews, but I don't really know anything about it. All right? Can you all come help me with this? And they said, in Bethlehem in Judea. This is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. It's the story. It's the prophecy being fulfilled. In this chapter, there are so many prophecies fulfilled. If you wonder about Jesus and the story, just read the, the prophecies from centuries before it happened and see all the fulfillment that happens in just Matthew chapter 2. So Jesus is born in Bethlehem. All right, so, so we've seen that this hunger for power does not bring peace in your life. It will not bring peace in your life. 
We've seen because of that, we shouldn't just be, we shouldn't be consumed with the pursuit of it. We should just want to serve and love our neighbor. Matthew 2, 7, it says, Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. When you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Huh. Man, this guy's real authentic, just a gem, isn't he? We know the rest of the story. We know what he's really wanting. But he, tells, uh, he found out it's going to be in Bethlehem. He goes back to the wise men in another meeting. And he says, hey, when you, all go, when you find him, come back and tell me where he's at. I just would love to worship him too. And so what, what we find is, is this Grinch-style leader. First, they're consumed with power and protecting themselves. Uh, the, the second thing, they'll do anything to protect. They'll do anything to do it. They'll even lie. They'll be fake. They'll be superficial. And we know without a doubt that superficial, honoring God with our lips, but being far in our hearts is not a pleasing thing for God. And so we see that this superficiality, this, this fakeness does not impress God. He's tried to gain the loyalty of the people, but he really just wants loyalty uh, to himself. He's only loyal to himself. He's not loyal to the people. Because even while he was rebuilding this temple and making it amazing, he built all kinds of these pagan temples too. Right? He was trying to be everything to everybody. He was standing for nothing except whatever he thought could get him further down the road in his power and his journey. Um, Matthew 15, Jesus talked to some people that acted like this, and they were Pharisees. They were the religious leaders. And they'd come to Jesus, and they said, Hey, why do your disciples, you know, they're not following all the rules we've got. Like, they didn't wash their hands before this ceremony and this or that. Like, that's really what it was about. And Jesus was like, Are you serious? Do you know all the, the, the real commandments of God that you violate, is basically what he said. And, and then he says to them, uh, and, and so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands for God, from God. Whew, you don't want to be the church leader that Jesus quotes that to, Right? That you've, that you've turned away this deep relationship with God for your just man-made traditions. It was an interesting experience planning a church, starting a new church, uh, because we got to, I got to look at everything we'd done my whole life and as I'd known church and what it was and say, where did we get that? <laughs> Why did we do that? And, and there were some things that you start to look through the Bible and you realize, well, that's, it's not that that is wrong that we did that, but the fact that it becomes such, such pressure upon it that you can't serve God if you're not doing that, and then it's not even in the Bible, that's when it gets dangerous. That's when, when the tradition, the place that you meet, and how you meet, and the preference of what songs and what styles and what the carpet looks like and what you do, like all those things, they're okay. You've got to do something, but you can't make that the main thing. And, and so Jesus says, you have put traditions above me. Like, you're fighting to have the right style of song, and you don't even spend any time with me in the day. And so we, we risk this, 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 this 
tendency in our own lives to be fake. That's just the reality of it. Where we all struggle with it. It, it. It's always the potential is always there. And what what does it mean to be a fake? How do how do we be fake people? Uh, one way is like there'll be somebody you can't stand. Y'all got them. Don't lie. Like there's somebody you just you'd rather not bump into, but when you do. You smile and you love, you're like, how are you doing? I'm so happy to see you. It's such a good, and then you, when they walk away, you turn to your spouse or you turn to your friend, I can't believe I ran into them, right? And, and so you build this fake relationship, and it might be, it might even be because of something they've done that has hurt you or something you've done that's hurt them, and so you mask all that. And inside of that, you just pretend like everything's okay. And God wants us as a family to be real. God wants us to go to that person and say, if you've hurt me or this or that, say, you hurt me. I, I, I see this thing in your life, and I want you to know I love you, but I just got to let you know this thing you did hurt my feelings, and, and I don't want us to have this I don't want us to have this fake relationship where we pretend to like each other and we don't. Or maybe you just need to be real. Like, we know we don't like each other. Let's just see you. Okay? Like, real is better than fake. How else can, can, can we be fake in life? This is, this is one, man, I've lived it a lot in my life, where you, you, you seek friends out and people and relationships with people you can benefit from. In the political world that we live in, the culture that we live in, you, there's people that you will say, man, I'd like to be their friend because everybody knows them and they can do this and they know that. And if, and if I know that per, if, if I'm friends with this person, then we're constantly thinking how they can help me. And, and in business, the world I lived in, this is what it was all about, networking and knowing people. And I remember when God completely changed my heart about that and said, you know what, when, when you go to meet new people, don't be thinking what they can do for you. Think how you can help them. And I remember that mindset change in my heart. Like, as I would meet people, like, how could I serve this person well and help them step into their call and be what God's called them to do? And, and you get this heart to serve, but you will be tempted to try to make friends with people that have influence because you think it will help you and it will connect you and it will give you leverage and all the things. And so you can look around and say, how many friends do I have that that can do nothing for me, that can bring no benefit to me. I lived a life where God gave me for a season this level of influence that I never thought I'd ever have, and it wasn't crazy, but it was more than I thought I'd ever have. Let me tell you, I had way more friends then than I do now. So how do we not be fake? How, how, do we, how do we step out of this and how do we be real? How do we say, I'm going to be friends with whoever God puts in front of me? How do we have a group of friends that we know they don't care how much money I make or who I am or that I'm a teacher or a principal or a manager or, or you know, an elected leader? Like They don't care about any of that. They just love the nasty, messy Jared. Like, they know all the garbage, and they still love me anyway. you got to have some real relationships like that. So what do we do? How do we not be fake? Come clean, man. Find some friends, family, and just be like, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not faking this. Like, here's what's really going on in my life. 
Can you bear this burden with me? Can, can you just be Christ and love me anyway? So we come clean with family. We come free, clean with friends. We just confess sins or brokenness to one another. But most importantly, we come clean to Jesus. We, 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 we take the thing that we, we're hiding, that we're pretending is not present in our life, and we're open in our repentance with Jesus. And so what is repentance? What does that look like? What does it mean? This week, uh, Thursday, I went with some friends doing some ministry work, talking to some people down in uh, another part of the state. And, and, and so I did a day trip. And I, so on Thursday, I was in the car. I was on the road for 12 hours. You know where I went? Home. It's 12 hours. It's a round trip. Six hours one way. I could have been at Disney World. I pulled in. I was like, I drove 12 hours today, and I'm home. Like, there could be a beach. There could be something, although I love home, but 12 hours is a long time on the road. But we were doing this ministry work, and we, were, we went to Henderson, Kentucky, a place I'd never been. And, uh, you know, when you're going to a place you never go, you put in the GPS, right? And so we got the GPS up, and we're, we're following it, and it says turn right. And you love it when it says that because there's four rights. Right, you can see them up through there, and you're trying to look at the color on the map and look at this and try to, and, and you always pick the wrong one at some point, right? You, if you've seen The Office, y'all, y'all are good Christians. You don't watch The Office. Yeah, he, 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 it says turn right, and it's like this little gravel road that goes into a pond, and then the real road right there, and he just drives all the way in the pond shouting, the computer knows. <laughs> And so anyway, we, we take the wrong right turn. And what happens when you take the right turn on a GPS, when you take the wrong turn? Recalculating or turn around. Immediately says, make a U-turn. Like and so that is repentance. Like when God has you on a path of life, but sometimes we get out of sorts and we take the wrong turn. And, and, and immediately we've let sin into our life. We've let, we've let some, some, uh, some sin that's behind the scenes or maybe it's blatant and it's open. Maybe it's an affair. Maybe it's, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's addiction to drugs or alcohol or, 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 or maybe it's something altogether different. But we've, we've let it get into our lives. And always the best path is to stop immediately and do a u-turn turn around and turn back to god god doesn't want you to honor him with his lips and have your heart hungry for the culture and material and sex and all the things that are around us he doesn't want just the tradition of you go every sunday and this is the thing you do and, and my family and we go to church on sunday and then we go eat afterwards and then we do our stuff through the week. Like That's not what he, he wants your entire heart. How do, how do you do that? You turn to him. You turn from your, 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 your obsession, obsession with self, power, culture, and you turn to him immediately. Because you know what happens? The recalculating, right? The further you go the wrong way, the messier it gets, the harder it gets to get back, the more consequences there are, the more you just don't know, you don't even know where you are. So this morning my call is, my heart is stop. Like find that thing that's hidden that you think nobody knows about. Surrender it to Jesus. Be honest with him. 
He knows it anyway. He wants to love you anyway. He's with you anyway. Unload it on him. The last thing we see here, I mean, he's completely lied. Herod lies. He's fake. He's a fake. Don't be a fake. <laughs> Put that in your notes. Don't be a fake. Be genuine in your relationships and your words. After he interviewed with the wise men, they went their way, and the star they'd seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. Went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Man, can you imagine this? They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. This is another second thing to think about your nativity scene. Usually it has the shepherds, the wise men, and all the people that... Uh, the wise men really didn't get there until maybe a year later, months later, like Jesus was not an infant, infant, newborn. So they probably all weren't there together, but just explain that to your kids. <laughs> they did come. They're all connected, but just say they, they weren't all there at the same time. You know, the shepherds and wise men didn't hang out. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down. Don't you want to be like that, that you're just willing to step into the unknown for God, and then when you come face to face with Jesus, all you can do is hit the ground and, and, and bow before him and take all the things you've treasured your whole life that the world treasures and lay it at his feet? Everything you thought was important before you met him, and now it's like, why do I need frankincense, gold, and myrrh? I'm at the feet of the Savior. And they lay it down before him. It says when it comes time to leave, they return to their own country by another route. Got the GPS going. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Herod finds out about this. Verse 16, he was furious. When he realized that the wise men had outwitted him, he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's waiting for the wise men to come back, tell him where the newborn king is. Word eventually gets to him that the wise men bypassed him. They've already gone back to their country. They didn't keep their word. He loses it. He's infuriated. So he sends soldiers. He sends people down to Bethlehem in and around to kill every baby boy two years old and under. Loses it. This is the man with all the power that's king of the Jews. He's an evil despot, and even under the rule of what would have been seen as tremendous worldly power, God's plan persevered. So I want you to finish, when you end with this thought, that no one, no thing can stop God. Like in this story, I want you to be encouraged in your life and God's plan for your life that no man and no thing can stop God. He thought he could. He, he was doing everything he could. He thought he had all the power. He had the ability to, to, to stop Christmas once and for all. We're reminded by Paul in Ephesians chapter 6. says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
It says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. See, what was really at play here was Satan. You think you have enemies. You really don't have enemies. God has enemies, and you just happen to be on his team. And so Satan's going to come after you. But when you're on God's team, who can be against you? I want to really just reinforce what we've learned the last two weeks. Step into God's plan for your life. Do not be afraid. Get on God's team. He'll protect you. This is amazing for me to think about. Because this Christmas, nothing, no one, no report, no, no health report, no financial hardship, no family breakdown should be able to really steal the deep sea joy and peace you find in your relationship with Jesus. The enemy can't steal that from you. He'll try to distract you and discourage you, but he really can't do it. Because what's amazing for me that, that Herod built this amazing temple, right? Built this amazing temple because he loved the Jews, right? No. He built the temple because he loved God and he wanted people to have a place to worship God, right? No, Herod built the temple because he loved Herod. <laughs> he loved himself. It was for his name. He wanted the people to be like, look what Herod did. Herod built us this. And he wanted to, to leverage it and use it for his power and control and influence. But here's how God works, okay? That temple he built and made amazing and bigger than ever and better than ever was the temple where Jesus, the baby, eight, nine days old, had his purification ceremony. It was a place that Jesus, the baby he tried so hard to kill, walked in with his mom and dad and Simeon prophesied over him and said, here's the Savior, here's the King. That temple is the, is the temple that when, when, when Jesus was 12 years old and his family would always go to the Passover celebration at Jerusalem, right, his hillbilly days in Jerusalem. And then they go to that, and then, and then they got back home one evening, and they're like, Jesus never, it got dark, and Jesus never showed up. Where's he at? Parents of the year. <laughs> so they go back to Jerusalem, and it takes them three days to find him. See, Jesus, 12 years old, sitting in the temple, the very thing the enemy was, was trying to use to destroy and build leadership and influence and effect and to destroy him, Jesus sat in. He said, oh, you meant this for evil. <laughs> See, the thing in your life, the enemy will mean things for evil. And God's like, I'm going to use this temple for good. He can do the same thing in your life. And Jesus sat there and he taught Later in his life, he would heal people there. They would come there, the blind and the lame. You see, Herod trying to build this thing for him, and he built this platform for God to launch a church that would change the world, change you, change me. When they finally find him when he was 12, and they're like, what are you doing? Herod thought maybe this was his house, and Jesus said, why did you need to look for me? Didn't you know that I'd be in my father's? That I'd be in my father's house. So 
morning as we close and the worship team comes back up. I want us to be real this Christmas. I want you to be deeper in relationship with Jesus than you've ever been. I don't want us to be fake with one another. I don't want us to be fake with God. I want us to have a heart to serve. I don't want to be like Herod and just be consumed with power and influence and control. I want to be consumed with loving our neighbors and washing dirty feet. I want to have friends that, that doesn't make sense that I should be friends with. I want you to have friends that you can get nothing from except give and be in genuine relationship with. I want us to be confident that there's nothing or no one can stop God. He has a plan for you. Ephesians 2.10 says you're his masterpiece. You're created in, you're in Jesus, you're a masterpiece. He created you. And he's got good works, good things for you to do that he prepared in advance. Man, that, if you're looking for a life of purpose, there's no greater life of purpose than you will find in relationship with the one who made you. This morning, let's step in with faith. To relationship with Jesus. Let's think about how God calls us all to lead to be the light and darkness, to be the salt, to be a difference maker. Whether you're, you've got a title or not, God has called every believer to lead. Lead your friends, lead your family, teach, disciple, make disciples. Let's lean into that, trust God, know, man, he's, he's in control. He is in control. Whatever the crazy hair it is in your life, that's trying to sort you and get you off track, God can use it for good. Jesus, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you thought it not robbery to step out of heaven and lay down your throne and pick up a towel to serve and to wash dirty feet. We just pray, Lord, you would stir up inside of us God, the same heart, this reminder that, and don't let us just, just seek our own personal advancing in, this, in, our, in, our, in our life, but to just make a name for you, to serve you, to love you, to share you, to be your hands and feet. God, sort through the chaos of this season and just every day bring our hearts and our minds to a king and a manger. God, let's be reminded that you never leave us, you never forsake us. Let's be reminded there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus today. God, we bring it to you, we lay it down. We come clean to you and we surrender and we, we say we're sorry, but we also repent and we turn and we, we, we want to chase after you. We'll be like the wise men going into the known, looking for you. And at this moment, at this time, we bow before you and we're going to sing one more song of praise. In Jesus' name. Amen.